welcome to theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Daniel Sun. Yo, guys. And Anna. Good morning. Happy New Year. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the Aerial School UFO Encounter. Also, we have several more episodes already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the Ouija board, Giants, Glitches in the Matrix, the 1985 Philadelphia bombing, Nexium Cult, Disney Darkness, Isaac Cappy, McMartin, Satanic Preschool, Clinton Body Count, FEMA, and much more. In total, as of today, we have a lot of extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the shop button. Then you can see all the merchandise we have for sale. Hoodies, beanies, t-shirts, hats, all that good stuff. I just wanted to say that the money we get from Patreon and our merchandise goes to bettering the show. Also, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you could leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the contact button, and there you can find our email addresses. So today's episode is over UFOs. How this episode will go today is that we will first briefly touch what are UFOs, and then go into the history of them, and then go into the different types of UFOs, and then into encounters with them involving the military and regular people. And then we have a few bits of audio to listen to, as well as top secret photographs that we received. And then we'll go into the current day happenings with UFOs and then into theories and then wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. So, Dan, what are UFOs? So we have talked about UFOs before, but for those who do not know, an UFO simply means an unidentified flying object. Just a flying object that cannot be identified by conventional means. Which doesn't mean that it is necessarily from another planet or galaxy, but it could be. There have been many cases of sightings of UFOs throughout the years, not just by everyday people, but also the military themselves. Yet, when it comes to UFOs, they are immediately dismissed by the masses, even though they, themselves, are not able to provide a conclusion for what they are. These UFOs that we randomly see in the sky, are they real? Or is it just fantasy? Let us open our eyes and look to the skies and see what we can find out about them. So to better understand UFOs, of course, we have to start off at the beginning with the first recorded UFO in history. So, Anna, can you tell us about that? So sightings of UFOs can be traced back all throughout history. 
Societies around the world have depicted flying objects in petroglyphs, hieroglyphs, paintings, you know, that kind of stuff. Even stories have been passed down from generation to generation of objects in the sky before a plane was ever invented. One of the earliest documented objects in the sky was 12 BC. A strange comet-like object simply hovered over Rome for several days. The object then, and I quote, melted into what was described as flashes that look similar to torches. This documented case is brief and very little is known about this particular incident. All that was mentioned was like we said, that a strange object hovered above Rome for several days and then melted. Also, just a quick FYI, many individuals will say, oh, the Romans probably made it up and documented this for fun. But that's not the case. Why? Well, Roman historians and recorders of the event had to go through strict procedures to ensure their reports were credible and accurate, and only then could that be an account or an event to be entered into an official record book. So I thought that was pretty interesting. For sure, agree. What a time. Yeah. I wonder what it was like back then. The sky is falling. No, it's just sitting there. It's not moving yeah. for days. <laughs> it's not even, yeah, it's not even falling. It's just sitting there. And I mean, some people can say it was a comet. I mean, you can kind of explain it away as maybe a comet. But this next one, this next one is a little more odd and you can't explain it as a comet. So, Anna, do you want to tell us about that one? So this one is, again, early documented, but it's a more well-known, extremely eerie sighting of an object in the sky. This one was back in 1639, and it was documented by John Winthrop. So John was the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and on March 1st, 1639, he wrote something very strange in his diary. John was describing in his diary the challenges that some of the immigrants that had recently come to America were having. John wrote that earlier in the year, an individual named James Everell, who he described as, and I quote, a sober, discreet man, and two others had been rowing a boat in a muddy river which flowed through swampland and emptied into the Charles River. The three men saw a great light in the night sky. The night then stood still. It flamed up and was about three yards square. When the object moved, it formed into a figure of a swine. A pig for people. Goddamn pig aliens, man, I tell you. <laughs> Over the course of the next two or three hours, the three men said that the mysterious light went through the sky as swift as an arrow, darting back and forth between them and the village of Charleston which was a distance of approximately two miles, and the other credible persons in that town reported seeing the same light. John then said that when the strange apparition finally faded away, the three men in the boat were stunned to find themselves one mile upstream, as if the light had transported them there. The men had no memory of their rowing against the tide. That's a pretty odd encounter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that wasn't like the only encounter that John recorded in his diary. He had, he had another, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So, I mean, it gets a little weirder. Okay. Nearly five years later, something strange also happened in Boston. In January of 1644, at around midnight, three men in a boat pulling into Boston Harbor 
witnessed lights emerging from a cave in the shape of a human being. According to John's diary, the lights then flew over the town before seeming to vanish into thin air. Within the same week, a second incident was recorded by John in the same area over the Boston Harbor. In this case, a light that was described to be as bright as the moon rose over the harbor before joining with another. The two lights converged and split several times before flying out of view and disappearing into the night. So, about two months from now, we're all going to be together in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. So that's something for us to go maybe look at. Would it be wrong if I threw some tea into it? Is it a Boston Harbor? Oh, go ahead. I'm all for that, you know? It would be so right. Throw some tea in it. So, weird, odd lights appearing that this governor wrote about in his diary hmm. in the 1600s. Mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so that's just a few of the earliest accounts of UFO sightings in history. But before we hop into some more strange encounters like that and interviews with individuals, let's quickly discuss the National Investigation Committee and the type of UFOs that they documented. So, Dan, do you want to start us off on that? Absolutely. Now, when people talk about UFOs and what they've seen, there are many different types of UFOs. That begs the question, how many different types of UFOs are there? Is there some type of reported UFO-type archive? Well, kind of. So this all starts back in 1956. There was a National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP for short, that was created by the United States Navy physicist Thomas Brown. This committee selected United States Marine Corps Major Donald E. Keyhole as the committee leader. He led the committee from the mid-50s until 1969. Major Keyhole and his field researchers compiled the most comprehensive listings of reported UFO physical types to date. The committee recorded their findings in a 1964 publication titled The UFO Evidence. So now we are going to discuss a few of their findings on the different types. The very first one they have is triangular. These crafts look like flying triangles and sometimes are described as pear-shaped or teardrop-shaped, also cube and crescent-shaped UFOs fall into this category. Um, especially here recently, they've had a uh, very famous photo circulate around of the triangle UFO in some released government documents showing, I think, uh, schematics for a triangular-type vehicle. So that's what I think of when, when they talk about the triangular one. Supposedly there uh, was a triangular UFO in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Aaron. Uh-oh. Yeah. Just a hop, skip, and a jump from where I'm at up in Maine. Yes, sir. I think like those are the ones I've seen because when I seen them at night, I could always find three points, and it's a very obvious triangle. That's strange. All right, Dan, what other types do we have? The next up we have is a flattened sphere. These UFO discs are spherical with flattened, elongated tops and bottoms. Occasionally, some of these types are reported to have a point or a peak on the top of the disc. Okay, so pretty much your typical UFO type when people say yeah. UFOs. All right, what's, what's the next one? The next type is cylindrical. These UFO types resemble rockets and are often described as cigars. Sometimes they are reported to have windows or portholes that run along the side of them. Yeah, I've seen some reports of cigar-shaped UFOs. Yeah. One of the reports we're going to talk about later on that was recently released by the U.S. government talks about the cigar-shaped UFO, or also known as the Tic Tac. 
That's kind of like the one they, uh, what is it? The satellite to Mars, was it? The Phobos 1 and 2 episode yes. that we did on Patreon. Yeah, was it the unidentified flying object there? Looks cigar-like? Yes, it was. Yeah, so if you have our Patreon and you haven't listened to Phobos 1 or 2, just like Dan said, Phobos is one of the moons on Mars. And they sent a satellite out towards the Phobos moon. and they captured images of some cigar-shaped like UFO. Immediately after they captured those images, something shut down the uh, satellite. But we did a full report over that on our Patreon, so go take a listen to that. It's great. Yes, sir. All right, so what's the other one you have? The next type is called a Saturn disk. You know how Saturn has that ring around the planet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, these UFO types are called that because of how they resemble the planet Saturn, they have the domes on the top and the bottom of them and it has a thick ring protruding from its body. Okay, so that's pretty, that's a common type that people see. Yeah. And uh, we have one more, don't we? Yes, we do. The last type is the light source type. These UFOs resemble bright lights or orbs. Some individuals state that upon seeing these, that they look like stars. So that's just a few of the most commonly reported UFO types as determined by the committee from almost a decade of research and investigations. So that brings up the question, has the United States government had any other involvement with UFO research? Well, they actually have. This all started back in the mid-1940s. Around this time, there were a ton of reported sightings of unidentified aerial crafts, and this piqued the curiosity of the United States government and they decided to start investigating. So on December 23, 1947, the United States government established what they called Project Sign. The project was to collect, evaluate, and disseminate all information pertaining to UFO sightings and other unexplained aerial phenomena. In February of 1948, only a mere two months later, Project Sign completed operations and issued a statement that read, and I quote, No definite and conclusive evidence is yet available that would prove or disprove the existence of UFOs as real aircraft of unknown and unconventional configuration. So only 10 months after that statement, in December of 1948, Project Sign was changed to Project Grudge which according to the project's last director, this project evaluated reports, and I quote, on the premise that UFOs couldn't exist, no matter what you see or hear, don't believe it. Now, real quick here, how do y'all take that quote, as in this project being a dissemination project where they just completely tell the, the public, hey, you didn't see a UFO, kind of like the men in black. Okay, all right. I wish I would have thought of that beforehand. I would have looked to see if there was any connection between the Men in Black and Project Grudge. But I guess I can look that up later. Sure. So Project Grudge ultimately reviewed 244 sightings, of which 23% of them they couldn't explain. Now, only a year after its start, this project was abruptly shut down on December 27th, 1949. But that would not be the end. In March of 1952, the government started Project Blue Book. 
which a lot of people know about Project Blue Book, but not many people know about the previous projects, Project Sign and Project Grudge. Did either of you know about Project Sign or Grudge? No. Did not. Neither did I, and I consider myself a UFO connoisseur. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like we said, in 1952, the government started Project Blue Book. Their uh, stated goals were, and I quote, to find an explanation for all reported sightings of UFOs to determine if the UFO posed any security threat to the United States and to determine if UFOs exhibited any advanced technology which the U.S. could utilize. This project ended in 1969, but in the 17 years of its operation, they had investigated and chronicled over 12,000 UFO reports and were able to explain over 11,000 of them. However, close to 600 reports were officially declared as unexplainable, and 218 of those 600 reports, which is almost half, were made by the United States' own military branches. So, to say the least, we decided to take a look over some of those 218 reports, and we decided to pick a few interesting ones to talk about. So, Anna, would you like to start off with the first one and tell us about it? All right. So this first one takes place in May of 1951 during the Korean War. There is a town just outside of Cherowon, South Korea, that was marked on a map to be completely overwhelmed with artillery rounds and attempted to be destroyed. According to former U.S. Army Private First Class Mr. Francis P. Wall, he also said, according to him, that he was running, they were running to the village to let the innocent people know that they were about to destroy their town. That's what he said. So as they're there, they're hearing the sounds of war all around. There's explosions, guns, gunshots all surrounding them. So with this, all this fighting going on, Francis remembers looking up at the sky and seeing something strange in the sky. This is how he described it. We suddenly noticed on our right-hand side what appeared to be a jack-o'-lantern come wafting down across the mountain. And at first, no one thought anything about it. So we noticed that this thing continued on down to the village to where, indeed, the artillery airbursts were exploding. It had an orange glow in the beginning. He said that they further noticed that this object was so quick that it could get into the center of, the, of an airburst of artillery and yet remain unharmed. But then this object approached us, and it turned a blue-green brilliant light. It's hard to distinguish the size of it. There's no way to compare it. The light was pulsating. So in shock by what Francis and his men are seeing, they call in to see if they can open fire on this object. Wall did actually kind of find it funny that he was asking if they could shoot these little rounds into this spaceship or whatever they saw, even though it was literally unaffected by the artillery rounds that were being shot at it. So to Wall's surprise, it actually did affect the UFO when they were given permission to open fire. They did shoot their M1 rifles with armor-piercing rounds, and Wall said he could hear the pings as the bullets hit the craft, and then the craft started to fly erratically. According to Wall, he said, Now why would that bullet damage this craft if the artillery rounds didn't? I don't know. 
unless they had dropped their protective field around them or whatever, but the object went wild, and the light was going on and off. It went off completely once, briefly, and it was moving erratically from side to side as though it might crash to the ground. Then, a sound. We had heard no sound previous to this. The sound of, like, diesel locomotives revving up. That's the way this thing sounded. Hmm. What a specific sound. It is. And then you wonder if that's the sound of spacecrafts, but they have a way to mute it so you don't hear it. Because they need that power. Maybe there's some raw power with that locomotive. Well, side note, I was watching that Bob Lazar documentary yesterday. And he was talking about the spacecraft and the technology they used, a gravity type of motor that distorts space-time around the spaceship. He described it well by saying, take a bowling ball and put it in the middle of your bed, and your bed is space-time. The bowling ball is the UFO craft. You put the bowling ball in the bed and then take your hand and push down in front of the bowling ball and how the bowling ball moves forward is how this gravity motor works on the UFO. The motor doesn't propel the object itself. It distorts space-time, so the object is kind of like constantly doing a controlled falling forward through gravity or through space-time, which is, I've never heard anything described like that before. I thought it was extremely unique, and it made me think, wow. That's an interesting thought I've never had before of how some type of uh, propulsion device would work. I just thought it was unique. Oh, I agree. Unique. Anyways, side, side story, side knowledge nugget. Boom. I love Bob Lazar stuff. All right. So they hear the sound of the diesel locomotive, and the, the craft starts to move side to side erratically. It seems to attempt one last attack on the soldiers for shooting it. Okay. Wall describes this incident as the craft shot some kind of ray or beam, like a spotlight, and it came in impulses. When the ray would touch the men, they would find that their skin would start to tingle and get a burning sensation. It hadn't caused visual damage, but they could feel it under their skin and it created enough discomfort that they ran off to their bunkers. It's a friggin' radiation laser. Mm-hmm. So... As they're hiding in their bunkers, which are kind of more like dugouts, and they had little peepholes for them to like kind of see what's going on on the surface, the craft hovered above them for a while, and then all of a sudden, it lit up the whole area and shot off at a 45-degree angle into the sky. Gone. Just like that. But it wouldn't end there. Over the next few days, the soldiers who were hit by that pulse ray that we were talking about, they would develop an array of debilitating physical symptoms including disorientation, memory loss, headaches, stomach aches, nausea, and extreme weakness that was potent enough that some of them had trouble even walking. Doctors who examined them could find no reason or cause for these, for these symptoms. The only evidence that anything was wrong was that these guys had unusually high white blood cell count. That could not be explained. Despite nothing really officially wrong with them, the men were nevertheless all physically ill and suffering from something. And it was widely assumed by them that this was the doing of that beam that the UFO had fired at them. And Wald even said that many of these guys continued to suffer from ill health for years after the encounter, with him saying that even to that day, 
He had frequent bouts of disorientation, memory loss, weakness, and difficulty putting on weight. Wall even said that some of the men suffered problems for years and they believed it was radiation sickness that caused this for them. It does. That's exactly what I was thinking about radiation sickness. When you were describing the symptoms and everything that they were having, I'm like, man, that sounds just like radiation sickness. Now, if they started like losing their hair and stuff like that and then died two weeks later, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was radiation. But it sounds like they didn't get a lethal dose of it. Not enough rads. Sounds like chemical warfare to me. First thing that popped in my head was Unit 731. Oh, yeah, that oh, is. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that episode. Patreon, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So that was like one of our very like first Patreon episodes, like one of our first few. That was a good episode, though. That was. Oh, man, those Montauks were fun. I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, it is super strange. Yeah, it is an interesting story. And we'll dive deeper into it during Thoughts and Theories. But we have another story. Dan, do you want to tell us about this next one? I would love to tell you about James McDivitt. So this next story is about an individual named James McDivitt. James is a United States Air Force pilot and a NASA astronaut who flew in the Gemini and Apollo space programs. He encountered something strange in June of 1965 while orbiting Earth during the Gemini 4 mission. James said that he was in space on the Gemini 4 mission that he was flying with fellow astronaut Ed White. Ed was sleeping at the time and they were drifting in space with the control engine shut down and all the instrumentations off. Then suddenly, an object appeared in the window. It had a very definite shape, a cylindrical object. It was white. It had a long arm that stuck out on the side. James said that he didn't know whether the object was very small and up close or a very large object a long, long ways away. There was nothing to judge it by, and he didn't know how big it was. He said that there were two cameras that were floating in the spacecraft at the time, so he grabbed one and took a picture of the object. He then took another camera and filmed the object. James then turned on the rocket control systems because he was afraid that they might hit the object. He also said that the windshield was dirty, just like in an automobile, and he couldn't see very good through it. So he had the rocket control engines going again and moved the spacecraft a bit, and after he moved, the object was gone. James then called down to center control and told them what had happened, and they went back and checked the records of other space debris that was flying around but they were never able to identify what it could have been. Upon landing, the film was turned over to NASA, and ultimately, three or four pictures from the film footage were released, but James McDivitt was adamant that the pictures that NASA released were not of the object that he had seen. Yeah, and I looked and looked for those images, and the only one I came across was, I'll link it, the only one I could find was this image right here, I'm going to link to you guys. So the picture we're looking at is a picture of the supposed McDivitt UFO. And you could see what is Earth in the background, or I assume is Earth, some planet with clouds. And you see there's like this multi-layered or multi-colored disc of some type with green, black, orange, and add a blue glow hue around it. And it's just sitting there. It looks very odd. It also looks like a slit in the Earth. Yeah. Like if you were to be flying a spaceship that was that shape, like that middle blackness, that that is like a portal opening up in the Earth for them to go into. Hmm. I saw an article that had a portal that looked very much like this. Not the coloring, but the shape. Yeah. So that's what made me think about it. 
it does look very similar. Uh, it looks like a slit in the earth. Mm-hmm. And you would just like, especially if you were like the cigar-shaped ones or the flat spherical type of one, you just slide right in there. Maybe that's what they are. Maybe they're just the cigar-shaped ones are just um, black holes or wormholes. What if the, the uh, cylindrical ones, the cigars, are the interplanetary traveling Ooh, like monorails. You can get through tunnels better when you're cylindrical. And if we have this underground tunnel system here and like all around Earth, then maybe that they go in through these portals and can travel in the tunnels because they're not these big, bulky, round objects, but instead more like trains. Okay, yeah. Underground monorail systems, but they levitate. I guess kind of maybe similar to what Elon Musk is creating. The Boring Company, yeah. Yeah, like whatever his underground system he's creating. He's tunneling us to hollow earth. Just a thought when I looked at it. It looks like a USB-C port. The earth needs to be recharged. Where's the Where's the cable? All right, so I thought this was an interesting story. And of course, like I said, I, was, I searched for the images and I only found that one that we just talked about. But... Uh, I did come across something interesting, to say the least. So there's a French paranormal magazine called The Top Secret. Have either of y'all heard about it or heard of it? Negative. No. Okay. So they published some very interesting photographs. The magazine claims that these photographs that they received was from an anonymous source. So the anonymous source that submitted these photographs claims that in March of 1971, in a location between Iceland and Jan Mayan Island in the Atlantic Ocean, a United States Navy submarine called the USS Trepang was in the region on a routine joint military and scientific expedition. An officer, John Kleika, on the sub had spotted an odd-shaped object, and the admiral of the sub, Dean Reynolds Sackett, ordered photographs of it. The anonymous source was able to obtain the photographs and then sent them to the magazine. So in the magazine, these were the photographs, and there's nine of them. If you want to look at the photographs that we're talking about, you can go to our website, and we'll have a photographs linked up there, but they are very interesting, to say the least. Uh, the first one is, like, obviously, uh, it's a picture of, it looks like a porthole of a, of a sub and you can see through it and you can see the water in the ocean. And in the distance, you see this pretty big object in the air, which looks like a spaceship. And the next one is the similar, it's a similar type image, but it's a triangular type of object in the sky. And it's sitting at that 45 degree angle. Looks like that big, the first picture, the second one looks like it turned to face towards the sub. Like it rotated. Yeah, rotated. I was wondering if it had, like, transformed. That's what I'm wondering, too, because it's a completely different shape. Yeah, because, like, when you look at the first one, it's got a flat top. What if it folds itself into that mushroom shape? So what we're seeing as the top of this mushroom are the rounded bits of the... The flat top of the first picture all comes up to create that dome, because if... Like, you look at the first picture, you could see underneath there's a little bit of a bubble there. And that's the bottom of the mushroom here, or the triangle. Makes me think of a mushroom cat. 
Yeah, the next photo looks like, um, you know, those big giant carved out heads. What are they called? Uh, the Olmec get... heads? Yeah, the Olmec heads, the big carved out Olmec heads. It looks like one of those just chilling in the ocean. You're right. I can actually see that. Mm-hmm. It kind of has like a clown face to me, though. <laughs> the n- next image, it looks like the, the craft from the first image, but there's smoke all around it. It almost looks like a blimp going down into the ocean on flames, and there's smoke. Yeah, it looks like debris maybe in the air, too. Yeah. The next one is the same blimp-like object, but it must have hit the ocean with some force to create a wave that big. Yeah. And then I think the next next few are of it going into the ocean again, and then... The next one is it just hovering above the ocean, a cigar-type-shaped object as well. Now, is this of all the same, the same exact object, or is it different? I, I don't know. That, that's all that the anonymous source said was that um, in the March of 71, when they were near Iceland in the Atlantic Ocean, that this USS Trepang was in the region doing routine joint military and scientific expedition and they came across this odd-shaped object, and the admiral of the sub ordered photographs of it. I'm just kind of curious if they're a little out of order. Yeah, I think they are. It, what it looks like to me is that this spaceship entered itself into the water, and the submarine probably shot it because it was like, what the fuck is this? And that's what we're, like, maybe... That craft was like, oh shit, incoming missile, went to get out of the water, and it took fire, which is why you see actual fire. That's, some of it is smoke. I mean, like, sorry, actual smoke. You could tell the difference between the water, like the one where it looks like it's diving into the water and it's coming up. I think that one was before the picture that we have above it, where it's already smoking. And then the picture above it, where it looks like the OMAC head could be the burning remains of like a sinking ship like that's what happened after it was shot and taken down and it's slowly now sinking back into the earth or into the water i i agree 100 percent. i think that last photo is something different because if you look where the water is if you look to the bottom left that looks like an island back there all the other photos there's like doesn't seem like there's any like land but the last one Bottom left, right above the water, you see like looks like an island, but it, then again, it could have been like the wave. But to me, it looks like an island. So I took this image, I I made it bigger, and in the upper left-hand corner of the first image, it says "official photograph not to be released," and then below that, it says "CT," as in Charlie Tango, and then in the bottom right of that image. Very faintly, you can see unauthorized disclosure, object, and then it fades out. And then above that, security, something. And uh, it's very weird. But that's just a few of the interesting photographs I came across that were in that magazine that, I don't know, you listeners, go take a look at it. Let us know what you think. And uh, I just thought they were super interesting and made me go, wow, when I saw them. Yeah. Oh, definitely. This is like the most compelling looking pictures I think I've ever seen of UFOs. Yeah, this would have to be the most compelling. 
I mean, they're very clear images for what, what they're coming from. And whatever they are, they're big objects. I mean, or a big object. I'm intrigued by the smoke thing. Like, do you see how in the very last picture there looks to be red in that object? Like, is that an ember fire uh, burning in it? And that's why we're seeing the smoke in the previous objects, because it did get shot by the submarine. Or hell, it could have been a fighter jet came by. Like, the submarine called in this UFO and some jets came by and and shot it. Because why would there be smoke? That's the part that I don't get. If it's in maybe the it's air. well, maybe it's steam coming off of it. Maybe it's so hot when it came out of the water, it's all steam. Could be. It's interesting to say the least. Those images are. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Next, we have some audio from individuals describing their UFO encounters, and we're going to listen to a few of these. Uh, Dan, do you want to tell us about the first one that we're about to listen to? Yeah, the first one's uh, from Manhattan, New York in 2010 to where a couple of people in New York, they ended up seeing a UFO and they, I guess they ended up getting interviewed by one of the local news stations there. And they talk about it. Okay, so uh, we'll take a listen to that right now. I was looking out of the, my living room window. There were 50 of them, 50 of these stars doing the same thing clustering together. I heard um, a co-worker of me saying it was UFOs, it was UFOs. So that's the first thing that came in the mind. So when I walked out and I saw it, that is the first thing I thought. Because it was really far away and it seemed like stars and they were disappearing and then you would see them again and, and I had no explanation for it. My belief, I don't really believe that it was a UFO. But I could be wrong. As long as it wasn't here to hurt us. That's, that's the bottom line. I hope he saw it, and I hope you saw it, and I hope it is real, because if it is, it's wonderful. We're not alone. Nice. Mm. See, the only thing I'm skeptical about when it comes to, like, lights and stars like that, I hate to be like that guy, but you automatically think, at least I do, it was maybe drones, because back in 2010, drones weren't as popular as they are now. But have you seen some of the videos that China's came out with or some other countries of drones performing the night shows oh, and stuff yeah. like that? It, I automat My mind automatically jumped to that. And I hate to be that dismissal person because I want the UFOs to be real. But that's the one thing that I can think is an explanation. But if it wasn't, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like 50 of them, though? Yeah. I mean, they get some of those drones where there's like... They're all synced together and they... yes. I've seen that. I've seen that. But that's like getting more current. I'm thinking like back then, drones aren't cheap. So who is, who's got 50 drones and what are they doing with them in that area? Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, I think regardless, I mean, there's, uh, there was something in the sky. What it was, nobody knows for certain. So that's a good interview. Um, you have another one here for us, right, Dan? Yeah, the next one is from Dublin, Georgia, 2012. It's, I think it's two brothers who ended up seeing some type of UFO in the sky. Okay. All right, so we're going to play that right now. Earlier this week, he and his brother Scott were in his front yard when they say they saw what at first they thought was a plane. Uh, three lights appear over here above the tree line over there where um, they were about where the power line is and then... After that, they dropped off and appeared three lights over here above the house where the power line is. And then from there, they shot back over to the right uh, where they originally were. 
and went in about two or three different patterns. With Robbins Air Force Base so nearby, it's difficult to rule out the possibility of an experimental aircraft. However, Crossland says it certainly wasn't anything conventional. I got 13 years with the military, so I've been on an air base before, seen how planes and helicopters are, look, how they land, how they fly, and so it wasn't anything like I had ever seen before. Crossland says that about 20 or 40 minutes after the lights disappeared, two military helicopters came and circled the area for a while before leaving. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, the way that the lights were at the end where they showed the three points, that's really similar to things that I've seen. Just like those perfect triangles like that moving across the sky. But this guy, having military experience, makes you want to trust his judgment on how those things fly. If he didn't yeah. think it looked normal, then that gives me stronger validity to believe that he knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. All right, so yeah, so that's a strange encounter from Dublin, Georgia in 2012. And uh, you, have, you have one more encounter for us, right, Dan? One more interview? Yeah, one more interview. It's the Phoenix Lights UFO incident. And this is a, an interview with the family called the Lays. And they go into detail about what they saw during the Phoenix Lights, which is pretty interesting. All right. So we're going to take a listen to that right now. The Lees first saw the lights while looking north from their home in the Sunny Slope Mountains. When it finally got here and we realized this thing was coming right over us, we really started getting antsy. And then when it went directly overhead without a sound, it was like, it was like that. It was so big. You couldn't even hear the wind. It was so quiet. It was just, yeah. it just didn't even do anything. It just came through. It was a giant V, all right? And the right side of the V went over us. The left side was like a couple blocks over it. You just didn't know what to do. You know, it was just like, my God, how big is this thing? It didn't seem threatening because when, when it was right overhead and we couldn't hear a sound, it was like you're just awestruck. He thinks that he said if he had a tennis ball, he could have hit it. He could have thrown a tennis ball at it. It was that close. It was very close. He just could have nailed it. I consider Tim Lee and his family to be very reliable and very important in the data that they've given us because they were so close that they could look up and, as they said, almost touch it. The last light went right over my wife and I, and there was no light on the ground. But I could see up inside that it was almost like a recess and it had fluorescent like light inside, like a gas light of some kind. You could see right through the middle of it, but it was like looking through two-way glass, like through a mirage that you see on the highway or something, or just when it's real hot. Right through there, you can see through, but there's no light coming back or anything like that. It was just really weird. This is the first time in the series of reports of that night that someone said that they looked up and saw a structured object. As it went over, it went straight like, like through this V right there over that guy's house. It took about 15 minutes to get from, way from, from when we first saw it all the way till we couldn't saw it. No one knows for sure what happened that night in the skies over Arizona in March, but thousands of people saw something. It's a night the Lees will never forget. We just re-experience it every time we tell it. You know, it, it's like, it's, it was just yesterday, you know. Um, 
I've just never seen anything like it. I was always a, a very polite skeptic. I would never tell something. If they told me they saw something, I would never say, you're a liar or anything like that, because I don't know. But now I don't know what to think, because um, this is impossible. Dang. That was, that's crazy. The triangular one is like the one we talked about in the UFO types. Yeah. Uh, thank you for showing us those interviews, Dan. Those are awesome ones. You know, it's always good hearing them from people, especially that Phoenix Lights one that we just listened to. Multiple people seeing the same object. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Can't wait yeah. until theories. Cannot wait. There's a lot of good ones this week. We can always get your uh, buddy, the petroglyph guy, on air. Cool wine. Yeah. yeah, if y'all want to hear more about the Phoenix Lights or anything about petroglyphs in the Arizona area, look up Jeff Woolwine. He's like the number one guy mm-hmm. in the Phoenix area that knows about petroglyphs. So shout out to him. Great, great guy. Great guy. Jeff Woolwine, uh, he does have a book on Amazon about his encounters with UFOs and all the money he makes on his sales of books. He donates to things like the local orphanage or foster home or something like that really genuine dude yeah i wonder if he has any information on the hopi being in arizona i need to reach out to him you need to reach out to him because he can fill you in on the hopi he's he's about that hopi life boom all right so uh we're going to talk about another ufo encounter uh before we get into current day happenings with ufos who wants to cover this one, this Delphos UFO encounter? Dan? I can do it. All right, sweet. So, the Delphos UFO encounter. On a farm in an early evening near Delphos, Kansas, on November 2nd of 1971, Ronnie Johnson, a 16-year-old who lived on the farm and was doing his chores, when all of a sudden he heard the sound of something from unfamiliar. He stops walking as he hears a sound that he best described as a washer that was off balance. I hate that noise. Me too. The area lit up really bright, and as he looks in front of him, he sees this object floating five feet off the ground and was glowing. This hovering object was about eight feet in diameter. Ronnie stares at this thing in shock, almost frozen in fear. And then the object begins to grow louder. The object emits this shimmering bright light that almost falls to the ground as the light also begins to become so bright It actually temporarily blinds Ronnie, and the sound fades off into the distance as it took off. Ronnie runs home to get his parents. They had actually seen something in the sky before getting there, so when Ronnie took them to the spot where he had the encounter, his parents were so intrigued by what it could be, they noticed that the craft had left a ring that was luminescent on the ground. There was even luminescence on the trees around there as well, Ronnie's mom ran home to grab the camera and took a picture of the ring. And then we'll have a picture of that because we do have that. It looks like a molten lava is what it, it looks does. like. Yeah, she only like... had one picture on her Polaroid camera. And <laughs> this is the picture she got. Dang. It looks... It disposable camera, huh? It was a I wouldn't touch that. That looks dangerous. Yeah. Would y'all touch that luminescent stuff? No. No. And that UFO had a leak in it. Well, <sighs> the Johnsons were mighty curious. Yeah. Oh, boy. The parents decided to touch it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I didn't even... <laughs> Jesus Christ. I didn't even <laughs> read forward. Of course they touch it. There'd be no way I would touch it. Oh, my God. 
and the fingers that they used to touch it actually went numb. Oh, they're going to get space cancer. <sighs> Ronnie's mother had wiped her hand off on her leg, which in turn made her leg go numb as well. Oh, my God. Way to go, Ronnie's mother. <laughs> oh, man. There was a tree that had been freshly knocked over that they also took note as being something the craft probably hit. The next day, Sheriff Ralph Enlow came to investigate the scene. He could see the ring the Johnsons had mentioned, and at this time, it had formed a pure white crystal crust, which he took some for evidence. He also noticed a branch broken about eight, eight and a half feet off the ground that looked as though something broke it coming into where the ring was left. This incident made its way around the town and a month later catches the attention of Northwestern University astronomer and U.S. government UFO consultant Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Hynek wanted to know more, so he sends his colleague Ted Phillips out to investigate it further. Phillips meets with the Johnsons and learned what happened from them, and he goes out to the site to investigate. By this time, it had snowed and the ground was muddy, but where the ring was previously at had a perfect outlined ring of unmelted snow. Mm -hmm. Because of this, Phillips believed that whatever the UFO left behind on the soil had to have been hydrophobic. Previous sites where landings of UFOs have been have been noted that the soil or life doesn't grow back in that spot. They alter the grounds beneath them. And then this is the picture of that ring still? Oh, yeah, of the so, ring. Oh, wow. So the one that you're looking at now is well after there's life growing on the outside of the circle and the inside, but not where the ring originally was. So this is the, the ground in where the basically no life is growing, no trees, no grass, is where the luminescent stuff was at previously. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. So while there, Ted took 40 pounds of soil for evidence and more than 100 photos. This evidence was brought back to Heineck, where he used his connections to other scientists to try to come up with an unbiased scientific opinion on the case. The big thing they noted was the difference in the composition of the soil that was affected by the craft. And 20 years later, they make one of the biggest breakthroughs from that scene. Ted Phillips, still working with the case in 1999, had his analytical chemist Phyllis Buddinger. She tests the soil and finds that even after 20 years, it is still hydrophobic. She said there was an organic material on the surface that caused it to be hydrophobic called fulvic acid. Fulvic acid occurs when plants decay and rejuvenate the earth, but the amount that was found in the ring is what really is out of the ordinary. There was much more there than would ever be there naturally. So that means they're like using organic fuel or something? That's what I was wondering. Like, there's got to be something organic about it. If it deposits so much extra organic material when it took off. Another interesting find in the soil were both calcium oxalate and oxalic acid are known skin and eye irritants and could account for the physical effects suffered by the witnesses. Miss Johnson suffered that numbness in her fingers and legs for the rest of her life. Yeah. Dude, that's gotta suck. Right, just because you got curious and wanted to test something. So... They could never definitely identify the UFO, but the evidence left behind has left many to wonder what it could have possibly been. And pretty much all, all signs point to otherworldly, you know. Yeah. Right. As we stated earlier, there's moments when people see UFOs and then they go and investigate it and there's a mark on the ground. And it's just so strange that 20 years later, this ground is still affected 
Like, there is physical evidence of this ring within 10 minutes of this craft taking off. That's the one that the mom took. And then, like, 16 hours later is the one at the very bottom of that conversation uh, Mm -hmm. that we just went through. And then the one with all the life around it was 20 years later, the fact that it's still affected. Like, I'm so intrigued by what they use to fly and propelled, or I guess if we were talking about what Aaron was saying earlier with the gravity, uh, but like still, what is it? What it's, it baffles me. It just baffles me. I'm more intrigued about, about why little Ronnie was out there. Cause okay. He was doing chores. He lives on a farm, but where those pictures are taken doesn't look like somewhere he would, or supposed to be doing some farm chores. I don't know. It just looks a little out of place. I get like what you're he shouldn't saying. have been there. What if he had to walk this path because you know maybe his farm isn't by his house, so he had to walk through the woods to get to the farmland, and that's just like his walk on the way there before he gets to his destination. Oh no, there's a lot of farms where I live, and little kids driving vehicles too. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at the greenery the in the background. Doesn't that look like that could be some sort of grow fields, like corn or or soybean or something back there? That is it does. It's not it does. seasoned. Looks like a. So I mean, that's really green compared to the area that we're looking at up close. And that uh mound of dirt right there, more than likely, that's probably from them digging up probably like a watering hole or something. Yeah. Mm. Or like, because what you'll find is that a lot of farms and a lot of places that have like a lot of. A lot of farms are not near any towns or communities, so they don't have local trash pickups. So what they'll do is they'll go out in the middle of their field, like way away from everything. They'll dig a hole and they'll throw all their trash in that hole and use it as a burn pile. And that's that's very common. Legality of it? Not sure. But I've never done that. But I can just save it from common knowledge of living around some farms. I can say that's that's what they do. Yes. Cannot deny that's what they do. Not saying that I've seen that happen. (laughs) All right. That's an interesting story. It is. So, Anna, what do you have for us for current day happenings with UFOs? All right. So this year has had a huge influx of UFO sightings. A lot of people talked about them, especially if you were on TikTok there back in September to October. It was bombarding TikTok with people just posting, even ones landing on mountains and just sitting there and being there for hours at a time. It was very high flux. But one of the ones that got a lot of attention was in Hawaii. And it was this year on October 25th. And I have some a video or two to watch with that. But it is a very strange light, multiple lights going through the sky that just don't seem ordinary. I mean, it looks like a flock of lights, essentially, in the sky, moving very consistently. Uh, some lights are solid and others are, are blinking, according to this image here. But it is a big-looking light craft. That looks like a triangular shape, the same type that they were describing yeah. in the Phoenix Lights. Except I think it's a more full structure. Like the one in the Phoenix Lights was a literal V with an opening in the middle. That thing looked like it was lit up all over, but was still V-shaped. 
what the government and stuff were saying was that it was a meteor shower or a comet breaking up and coming into the Earth. But I find that to be extremely hard to believe when it is so consistently floating across the sky, not coming down into the atmosphere and breaking off. This is, and there's no fire trail behind it or anything. It is just the same lights going across. It's way too consistent. And this link of these videos is is from different individuals, correct? Yes, yes. Wow. So this is from Hawaii, New York, and Canada. This is obviously the same craft that every all these different people are seeing on October 25th of mm-hmm. the last year, which is 2020. Oh, dude. Go to two, 221, 222-ish. That one looks different than the other ones. Didn't someone on Discord talked about they saw like a line of lights or something? That was Brinley. I'm going to send this to Brinley and ask her if this is what she saw. That sounds about exactly what she probably saw. I wonder if it's, if it's shape changed because the first ones we saw, it wasn't a string of lights. But these ones after 222 are string. Yeah. Like it's a straight line of light. But the way it moves, if you notice, like it's angled. And then all of a sudden it all goes up together. Like as if it was a ship turning direction. Yeah, it definitely Change shape and uh, I have no idea what that could have been. Like the first one, at certain points, I could it looked like an outline of a plane, but then it did change into something else, and just like these ones did. Yeah, it, it is. It is a weird whatever it is. So that happened on October twenty fifth, like we mentioned, and that isn't even the only big sighting of a UFO this year there. On the 31st, so just for us, just the other day, we're recording this on the 3rd, there was another UFO in the sky, more like the the energy, the light source one that we talked about earlier, how there's different kinds. This one was a blue oblong mass of energy that started moving through the sky, and it even appeared to be glowing. Many recordings were taken of this mass. Some even saw a white mass as well making its way through the sky to the blue mass. So I have a video of this, or a picture of this mass, and it is definitely different. It's uh, definitely more of a different shape than what you normally would see as a UFO in the sky. Something super intriguing, though. Um, And the fact that it happened, I think it was 8.30 at night or 6.30, at night. So... Were they coming to celebrate the new year with us? Well, I mean, they're like, let's go. They said that it was falling out of the sky. It wasn't really falling out of the sky. It was moving. It was going. It was traveling, whatever this object was. And it was at that 45 degree angle, the same angle that we've been talking about. And then it seemed like when it was going down into the ocean that it turned and went straight vertically and started mm-hmm. going down. Yeah. So, man, so many good theories that I want to talk about. But before we get to that, you know, we got a few more things we have to cover. But man, that that was a great video, and uh, very. Odd. I was trying to draw it on the iPhone art thing because that's what it looked like. You know, the things that we were using the other day, the art shit. Oh yeah. I was trying to draw it, then I just tapped it and did a little explosion. Hope you guys like the explosion. <laughs> 
looks yeah, like a black good. hole. But no, that yeah. was really good. It's uh, and the fact that it happened just a couple days ago. Yeah, I didn't know half of the stuff the lady was saying though. All those names, she said them so fast too. I was like, what'd she just say? What'd she just call me? Yeah, that's man. That was a that was a great great video and a great find. And being here so recent, just happened a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there'll be more popping up on it, but when we did all the research, this was like fresh off the press. Nice. So what else you got for us? So this year has been a lot about exposing, er, releasing information about UFOs being real or aliens as well. Like this last year, I keep thinking we're still in 2020. Um, We made it. We got out of there. That we think we know. But (laughs) right. Very true. But in 2020, the government acknowledged that David Fravor, who's a Navy pilot, he's retired now. He had seen what he called the Tic Tac spaceship and or unidentified object. And finally, the government admitted earlier last year that it was something that was not from here. And so that was like our first little taste of them finally saying, "Okay, you guys might be right about some of these things. And as you know, the year went on and we learned more and more. But I'll talk about David a little bit in his encounter. So Commander David Fravor, he was a, he's a 24-year-old veteran in the U.S. military. He retired from the U.S. Navy in 2006 after 18 years as a Navy jet pilot. And, five de- and he had five deployments in Iraq, beginning with Desert Storm. So like I said, he had stated he saw this Tic Tac, which was 40 feet long. Tic Tacs are small, but this one was not. (laughs) And it was maneuvering in ways he previously knew as impossible for an aircraft to attempt. He caught this on two different radars in the jets as as he followed it. And the object at one point even jammed his radar, which if you didn't know that, that's actually considered an act of war. Damn. Didn't know that. So Fravor tried to approach the craft and it mirrored his actions. And then when Fravor became more aggressive with his attempts... The craft shot up in the air and was gone in seconds. So as this happens, Fravor and the other pilot worked to they talk to go to their next rendezvous. And within seconds, the jets received a radio message that a radar target had appeared 60 miles or 97 kilometers away at the predetermined rendezvous that they were just talking about. Whatever the object took off from them was already at the spot that they were going to go to. And just so you guys know, according to popular mechanics, a physical object would have had to move greater than 24,000 miles per hour to reach the rendezvous spot ahead of the Navy pilots. Their jets have a maximum speed of Mach 1.8, which is 1,190 miles per hour or 1,920 kilometers per hour. To actually get there within seconds would have required an airspeed of at least 42,000 miles per hour. That's fast. Super fast. I wonder if we got a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Galactic police. So two other jets went to go investigate the new radar location, but by the time the Super Hornets had arrived, the object had already disappeared. So Fravor actually said this about the object that he had seen, quote, I can tell you, I think it was not from this world. I've seen pretty much about everything that I can see in that realm, and this was nothing close. 
I have never seen anything in my life in my history of flying that has the performance, the acceleration. Keep in mind, this thing had no wings. You know, you see a lot of interesting things, but to come up on something that's a 40-foot-long white tic-tac with no wings that can move really fast in a random direction, in whatever direction it wants to go, and hover over the ocean to mirror us with accelerating to the point where it just disappeared, like poof, then it was gone. I have no idea what I saw. It had no plumes, wings, or rotors, and outran our F-18s. But I want to fly one. Mm-hmm. Well, hell yeah. Damn right. I want to fly one too. But uh, Independence days. Yeah. So you have an interview with him, correct, that we're going to take a listen to? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yes. He has done lots of interviews. He's been on Joe Rogan. His story is really awesome. I think it, it was a great introduction for us to finally start acknowledging that there's something else out there. And, yeah, we'll go ahead and play that interview for you guys right now. Explain to us exactly what you saw. Yeah, when we, uh, there was two of us, two airplanes, four people. We had F-18Fs. We had got vectored out to the west uh, after they terminated a training exercise to investigate an object. When we arrived, uh, the the cruiser with the the Aegis system called, told us it was merge plot, which means they couldn't break us out from the blip. We started looking around, and as we both looked out the right side of our airplane, we saw a disturbance in the water, i.e. like a seamount where the waves are breaking over the top, so white water. And a white object, oblong, pointing north, moving radically left, right, north, south, up, down, all around. Um, As we started a clockwise flow around the disturbance, uh, watching it, I decided that I would go lower and the other jet stayed high to observe both of us. Uh, As I got to about the 12 o'clock position, the object started to mirror us. So now we're both in a clockwise flow, opposite circles. The object is lower than me. I'm above him uh, and I'm looking at him with my eyes. We get all the way around the circle as I'm descending, so now there's probably about maybe a two to 3,000 foot difference between us in vertical. And I'm at about the eight o'clock position, and the other, and the tic-tac is at about two. I cut across the circle, so across the middle, and as I got close to it, probably within a mile to a half mile, it rapidly, rapidly accelerated to the south and disappeared in less than two seconds. So now, then we turn back around, go ahead. Uh, go go ahead. I mean, it's. I guess you, you're an experienced pilot. You've been up in the air a lot. I'm imagining you've seen a lot of things in the sky. What was it about the movement of this or the appearance of this that, that made you believe it wasn't from this world as opposed to something else? Well, the first thing is it had no wings. So you think, okay, it's a helicopter. Well, there's no rotor wash in the water. There's no rotors. And when helicopters move side to side, they kind of slow and then they pick up speed going the other way. This was extremely abrupt, like a ping pong ball bouncing off a wall. It would hit and go the other way and change directions at will. And then the, the, the ability to hover over the water and then start a vertical climb from basically zero up towards about 12,000 feet and then accelerate in less than two seconds and disappear is mm-hmm. something I had never seen in my life. Now, now listen, I'm sure you've spoken to people, you told the story to some people who react with, with skepticism, uh, shake their heads a bit. W- yes. What do you say to people who, who doubt the account? Well, I think it's, it's easy to doubt what we can't explain, but when you actually see things, and, and this is not the first account of someone seeing a UFO, but in this situation, you're talking about four people, all, all eyeballs on, ranging in experience from relatively new in a fleet squadron, which is VFA-41, to 
myself, who had over 16 years of flying and well over 3,500 hours uh, nonstop. So I would argue that it wasn't a weather balloon, it wasn't a flare, it was, it was an actual object that we tracked, we looked at for somewhere around five minutes mm -hmm. before it rapidly accelerated. Now, the Defense Department analyzed this video. D did they take it seriously? Did they come to any conclusion? Uh, well, <laughs> you can't really discern what it is until there's a couple of shots. When, you, when it gets close, there's a couple of objects coming out of the bottom. But you can estimate on how fast it leaves the side of that screen and the, and the width, and, and uh, you know, you'd have to ask exactly, based on the field of view, what they would estimate that is. But when it leaves the screen on the video, it's moving pretty fast. Commander Fraber, that's from the standstill. A, a remarkable account. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Man, he didn't even let him finish. Holy smokes. So, yeah, that's we got some strange stuff coming from our oceans. Mm -hmm. Some strange vehicles and aircrafts are whatever it is. I mean, they're pretty much unexplored, so anything could be there. Yeah, we're scared of like Loch Ness or megalodons, when in reality we've got entire UFO alien bases underground. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the dolphins that are like their pet dogs, right? <laughs> the dolphins are the aliens' pet dogs underwater. They're just sea dogs. Walruses are and, the cows. And, oh. I mean, they are pretty smart, so. Yeah. There's that law that you're not allowed to get within 50 feet of a dolphin. It's because that dolphin is a fucking snitch. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and they're like, we're hanging out down here seeing all these develop me. You know, I was going down to the coffee shop yesterday, the dolphin says, and there's a new building. They just keep developing down here. I swear, I remember back in the day when it was just <laughs> clear ocean and beautiful fish. I could eat sushi for days. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, kind of like moves us into theories, you know, that uh, is a great transition and now we're going to go into theories as to what actually are these UFO crafts. What are these things that people are seeing and have seen throughout history? So the first theory that we're going to discuss is the hollow earth theory. Now, what does this have to do with UFOs and aliens? Well, just stay with me here, okay? So the hollow earth theory states that the earth is really a hollow sphere and inside this massive globe are rivers, mountains, and forests. Most significantly inside of it is intelligent civilizations, are also known as super races of aliens. And they reside in this globe, and they are the source of the many UFO sightings. This theory also states that the North and South Poles have openings where the UFOs from the middle of the Earth, which are these intelligent beings use the UFOs to travel inside the Earth, uh, they come out and look around on the outer part of the Earth. Now, my, that's the official hollow Earth theory when it comes to UFOs. But I started thinking about it. What if there's openings deep within the sea, and that's how they travel in and out of the middle of the Earth? And then to add to this theory, I was thinking about it the other day. Maybe there is an ancient race, right? And this ancient race was extremely intelligent, and they lived on the outer shell of the Earth. And then they developed AI, and the AI went against them, and they had this big nuclear war, and they thought they wiped them out. 
the AI thought they wiped out these beings, but these beings took refuge in the middle of the earth to protect themselves from the radiation and from the detections from the AI, right? So the AI then goes out into space, starts going through space in the universe and disappears, right? So then you got these really intelligent beings on the, in the middle of the earth that are shielded from being detected by the space robots, AI. And along comes us, right? Human beings and the aliens and or the intelligent beings in the middle of the earth come outside of it and experiment on us. The aliens abduct us and perform experiments on us to make sure that we aren't the AI space robots waiting for them. That's why they rarely come out. I don't know. Just a way out there theory. Would make for a great movie. It would. I would make for a great movie. So. What, what if they took us, the Middle Earth beings, to test us to see about our radiation exposure? Like maybe they're seeing how, if we're being affected as a species. Just maybe they're just running tests on us to see how we're affected by the war that happened thousands of years ago with them. Yeah. And... I went out there on my thinking. I went really deep mm -hmm. into this theory. And of course, the hollow earth made me think about, don't judge me, made me think about flat earth. Okay. So then I started thinking, what if the earth is bigger than we think? It's a gigantic, gigantic sphere. It's bigger than what we think about. And there is some type of like ice wall, right? So imagine earth laid out on a map, right? How it's flat. And then you put like an ice barrier all the way around it. And there's ice everywhere, right? And it's a lot bigger. And then in other spots, there's, it opens up and there's other areas of land. So there's different beings, you know, on the planet that we are unaware of. Just imagine like take the entire planet and squash it down into the size of, right, the United States. And then make the planet even bigger with other habitable areas in different spots around it. And then that these UFO beings are in those other areas. And the Earth is a lot bigger than we think it is. But that's just one of my like laying back in bed thinking about this. And that these beings are coming over here looking at us saying, whoa, look at this civilization. So it's like the dark cool. side of the moon, except it's the dark side of the Earth where we don't see that. We're only told how big it is. And we believe that versus... If you go past those ice barriers, there's a lot more life. That's the dark side of the moon where there's colonies and life beaming. That's so much different than ours. Yeah. And like I said, I don't want to be blasted for this, but it's just an out there theory. And this is why it's called the theories, because we're just, you know, hypothesizing, just free balling it. So spitballing. Yep. All right. What other theory you guys got for us? The Oz factor. Okay. Some, something I found, it, was, it intrigued me. The Oz Factor is a term coined by, coined by UFOologist and author Jenny Randles. It refers to the experience of being isolated or transported by the real world of everyday life into another environment, which is quite similar to the real world, but changed enough to be noticeable and disturbing. This idea was pushed aside in most reports of UFO and paranormal accounts, until Randall's called attention to such experiences as a common element in some types of UFO encounters. One person in particular 
by the name of Peter M. Royevich, a folklorist, had an experience like this in 1980 while working on his Ph.D. dissertation, which happened to be on UFOs. While in the library, he had, he had an oddly strange encounter with a person who approached him and just randomly started a conversation. They ended up talking about the dissertation he was writing when the person suddenly shouted, Flying saucers are the most important fact of the century, and you are not interested? And then the person got up and walked away. Peter said he felt weird after the encounter. Unable to remain seated, he paced around the library. That is when he noticed that there were no librarians and nobody else in the library. It was totally empty, except for him. So he freaked out a little bit and he went back to his seat and tried to settle his mind. He said he finished his dissertation about an hour later and left the library, which then it seemed like things had gone back to normal to where people he started seeing people again. So what's the theory again? So it's like pretty much that people are, they kind, she kind of describes it as it's almost like a sort of like a deja vu that people have, that when they end up noticing, like something happens and they end up transported to like a different real world type thing to where they end up seeing different things that are disturbing. And it almost sounded like she was talking like Stranger Things, the show. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like the normal world and then you trans the other side of the world or whatever it is, the dark side. Upside down. Yeah, the upside oh, down. Okay. So I'm guessing it's something like that, but it's like in small increments of it. Hmm. It's very weird. I, I just thought it was interesting because I've never heard of it. and Yeah. Supposedly they say this is a thing. Hmm. But. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. No, and it seems like it's a very rare thing because a lot of people, usually it's a lot of people that see, end up seeing like the UFO encounters, except for like, say like it's on a farm or something like that, where it's just the family sees it. That's the only time. It makes, I kind of get the vibe of the Matrix, like when Morpheus is explaining things to Neo. In that moment, he takes him to a scene and is talking to him about things that he needs to listen to. But there's like nobody else in there with him. It's just them in that moment. Like, let's say it's them learning martial arts. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're having that conversation. Everything's silent. But the reality is there with like, they're in a place. He's going to, you know, work martial arts with them. They're going to have that whole moment. But whenever they're done there, you snap back to whatever. I guess this goes off of like this could be the simulation theory, I suppose, on some of. level. That's what it seems like. I don't know. It was right. very weird. It was, it just intrigued me. And I'm just like, okay, we'll throw this in there. Yeah. I like it. Thank you for that theory, Dan. You're welcome. It's kind of confusing, but I think we, I think we kind of figured it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anna, what theory do you have for us? Well, this one is holograms. So, the the possibility that the government or some organization is using holograms to cause a mass hysteria to the public to study the reactions of the human mind. Okay. That's something even I've been thinking a lot about with the whole 21st happening. And I talk a little bit about it in my personal thoughts and theories. But with 2020 behind us, more and more people are just not surprised at what's going to come next. This is what the holograms goals are to be like. So. Over the years, UFO sightings, the numbers have gone up. 
and the possibility of UFOs being real is becoming really more realistic to us. Yeah. So even the government has said that UFOs are real, like we talked about with the David Fra- uh, Fravor. Yeah. And again, by the end of the year, they were basically like, yep, you guys have been right this whole time. And the fact that no one reacted to that type of announcement shows that the hologram's purpose was working on us. So if, you know, that they were shooting holograms instead of actual UFOs. So who knows what else they have used holograms to trick our minds into seeing. And we don't even have a second thought about it anymore. Like I said, I talk about this a little bit in my theory or just like touch about it because it is, it's desensitizing. That's all it is. And Project Bluebeam has a lot to do with it. Okay. Do you want to roll into your personal thought and theory about it? Yeah, I could do that. Perfect transition. Yeah, it's a great transition. So I had a lot of thoughts about what could come of the 21st. You know, I was spending a lot of time thinking about what's, what are they going to do, the, the dark forces, to try to keep us in a state of fear? Because when we have fear in this country, they run us and keep us in a 3D mind. Me and my friend Christy were talking about this. Maybe the sky is like Chicken Little. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yep. But this hexagon shape falls from the sky and it can mirror anything it's on. So, or camouflage anything it's on. So what if our sky is just a giant hologram? And it's weird that you bring up the upside down because that actually came into my mind with this whole theory. And when and Christy and I were talking about, but basically that we've been living in the dark ages ruled by dark forces for 13,000 years, whatever it is, and we're coming out of it. So we have been living in the upside down, which is why we have this artificial sky, because it's making it seem to us that we're living in a good place. But really, we've, we've been run by dark forces for so many years since the dark ages. And now we're coming into that being run by light which is why all this exposure on like the vaccine and and our government just a bunch of exposing is coming out because light is coming on the planet more so my thought was that they would project an alien invasion in the sky with this hologram type thing to create fear they told us about the galactic federation because they wanted us to now have in our minds that it was actually possible because before it was, oh, so-and-so says UFOs are real, blah, blah, blah. But through the year, they made them more real to the public. They announced things. So then that way, when they projected a hologram of an alien invasion into the sky, more of the masses would believe it and then get fear because of it and stay stuck in this 3D mind when all of us were trying to rise, raise to 5D. Yeah, my thought was just like, what are they going to put in the sky to make us believe that this was possible. And you want to know what the crazy thing is. I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but on TikTok, there are tons of people who are recording, who recorded the countdown on TV and then also lived next to that monument. Like, for instance, the Space Needle. They showed the Space Needle countdown on TV while someone who lives in Seattle was looking at it and it not one firework went off at the Space Needle in real life. But on the Space Needle on TV, it did the, like, there was this countdown, and then it got to zero, and a fucking, like, galaxy shot across the sky, and then, like, came in when it's in itself, and had all these fireworks, and it was all fake, but it looked real as shit. 
And I thought, man, this is them testing out this this hologram stuff because San Francisco had the same thing where someone recorded the bridge and it was the countdown and there was no fireworks at all. But it was on TV like there were a ton. I would not believe. Like, if you see anything alien invasion coming, just fucking don't believe it. It's not real. Um, That was part of, yeah, my theory. But maybe that's what they want you to think. Maybe the government wants to stay in power. These elites want to stay in power. And they're afraid, like, hey, if these aliens come down and they say, hey, we have this entire, why are you answering to these individuals here on Earth? You have an entire universe of different beings out there. And you guys are staying here being ruled by these individuals that you supposedly elected, right? Now, this is mm-hmm. nothing about election or anything like that. I'm just saying like Congress and stuff like that. You got to mm-hmm. abide by their rules. It's like, no, come out here, right? And then so the elites are like, how do we stop them from believing in these aliens? Because we know eventually they'll come down. Let's get them to believe that these aliens aren't real. So basically like that, maybe that's the case. The elites want to stay in power. Or maybe they want all that they want, like they've been doing for years, desensitizing us through movies, but they want aliens to come off as scary and out to get us. So that way, when they do the invasion thing, it's a precursor to them actually coming down and trying to save us. But all of us are like, not all of us, but people who are living in fear will sit there and be scared of these beings versus seeing that they actually came here to help us because our planet is so effed that they're like, all right, you guys are creating war. Like, you're just creating crazy shit on your planet. And when you guys destroy you, you don't just affect this. You literally affect the entire universe. So it's our job as starseeds, as other alien beings to come and help you if it gets to that point. I think they're literally just chilling in our, just outside of Earth, waiting for someone to do something stupid. And then they're going to come in and be like, all right, you guys, we thought that you could fix this on your own and you can't. So we're blowing up the I feel like they're a little late. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, oh, we had to take a detour. We got to pick up some galactic fast food. You know what it is? They would have helped us sooner. But Elon gave them a free car, so they're test driving the shit out of that right now. Yeah, like, oh, nice, free car. (laughs) Oh, they're on the moon doing fucking donuts and shit right now. Yeah. I think that that's a a thing where they don't want to come in. Like, it's our job to change the planet. Us people trying to raise the vibration of this planet. We are already doing it. It's not going to, like, people thought the 21st was just going to be flipped, done. That's the transition. No, like, we are, we have made the biggest shift. And we continue to live in 5D, which is going to continue to raise other people to 5D that are trying to be there. And we will not tolerate the shit that's going on in our government. Like you could see so many, so many more people are standing up and fighting against the vaccine, for, for instance. People exposing nurses quitting their jobs. People making bigger stands against something as big as this because they don't believe in it. It's completely uh, against the normal standard of how things are done in the medical field. Or, and not just that. I mean, this whole p- past year was about exposure. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pedophiles were arrested within our governmental system 
And we didn't talk about it. Why? Because of COVID. COVID was literally to distract us from all the other shit that's been going on that has exposed important people in our society of doing wrongdoings. I mean, what whatever happened to Maxwell, guys? She she got her bond denied here recently. Oh. So she's okay. still in prison, but they're wait they're waiting to whack her. But is she? Have we seen her? Probably not. It's all smoke and mirrors. I don't know. The whole this whole year to me has just been about exposure. This last year. And this year is still going to be chaotic. I think that we still have a lot of big things that are going to happen that could really challenge people. Yeah. And the most important thing in this is to not have fear, to stick our, stand our grounds, because we can literally change the course of history by continuing to stand up for our rights and what we believe in. Yep. Thank you for that theory, Anna. Thank you. Indeed, man. No problemo. So uh, my theory isn't so much about UFOs, but about aliens. So it's called We Are the ETs. Now, this theory starts on the planet Mars, all right? But you have to follow me here, okay? So the planet Mars, we believe, in the past, had an atmosphere, had an atmosphere and held water, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that is true, that means a long, long time ago, Mars might have hosted life on it. So at the very early stage of life hosting, chunks of Mars breaks off from the planet and makes its way across space and plummets into the Earth's oceans and lands. Those chunks that hosted life on it, originally from Mars, stimulated the evolution of life on Earth. Supposing this is true, and microbial life on Mars did reach Earth, then we aren't Earthlings. We are ETs. Or maybe life could have been here on Earth at very early stages. Life from Earth, a chunk of Mars comes off of Mars, right? Makes its way across, hits the oceans, goes inside the oceans. Microbial life forms additionally that we are unaware of. And that's where how aliens got here. They're chilling in the ocean, way deep underneath there. And they've adapted. So You know what that makes me think of? What? So you know how the dinosaurs were killed by, what, a meteor? What if yeah. that was the uh, chunk from Mars that brought us here? Possibly. We killed the dinosaurs. Damn. <laughs> well, according to my past life, I lived with dinosaurs as a person. So this is true. I still believe that people were around when dinosaurs were. So, Anna, you said your theory, your additional theory plays off mine. What do you have? Yeah, it's a little different, but... I was thinking that the aliens are just us from the future. I know we've talked about that in other episodes, but like that they're just the future evolution of us and that they're here to ensure we develop the way that we need to to grow as a species. And that's why they work closely with our governments so that that they so they can run experiments if they need. And that's why they've been seen in history throughout the world. They've always been here making sure that we stay on track. And I even believe that the alien earlier in the Korean War didn't try to kill anybody. It did it as a way to basically stop the shooting at it so that way it can get away. It wasn't meant to kill. So they're not about that thug life. No. There's always good and bad in everything, right? Yeah. I think most, let's say evolutionary beings, live a more neutral mindset. 
because that's what we are meant to do in this lifetime. We are supposed to become neutral. And when we do that, that's when you like basically become a, a monk and can live in the most peaceful state possible. So I think that these beings have already done this. And, you know, Dolores Cannon talks about seeding planets with kind of going off of what you were saying, Aaron. It's, it would be very similar to that minus a piece of Mars coming down. But these supernatural beings actually seeded the planet with life to grow. And it started, like I mentioned in the other episode, the single cell organism, multi-cell. Then ultimately they took chimps and manipulated the DNA and altered us to be who we are today and continue to study us to make sure that we continue on the path that they were hoping for us to have. They've been here way longer before we have. They were living in the ocean, right? They come up on the surface and they're like, okay, the AI super robots are traveling the universe. We need a distraction so we aren't found down here in the ocean. So they manipulate monkey DNA that turns, that creates us, right? And then they make us so where we repopulate a lot, right? And every now and then they come and check on us, but they're like, they're, or they are a distraction for if the AI super robots come along. And we're just going to chill in the uh, ocean and pop out every now and then. Sounds like a Philip K. Dick story. I love, <laughs> that'd make it for a good movie. It yeah. would. I like that. Yeah. So what do you got, Dan? What's your theory? I'm interested to hear your thoughts and theories about all this. Mm-hmm. I am more along the lines of that the government has their hand in this, that more than likely there was probably an ancient civilization or something beforehand with the technology. And it could could be aliens that were here, you know, before us. They could be, like I said, probably living in the ocean since we haven't discovered shit like what? Not even half of what's in the ocean. There's just too much to really discover, yet we're already looking more into space than what's on our own planet. But that the government are making these UFOs, testing them out and such. Some of them seem to be working out great, confusing the shit out of everybody, especially the 40-foot-long Tic Tac that's able to go in any direction at any speeds, apparently. Because, you know, with four... U.S. Navy pilots seeing this and then all of a sudden another like it disappears and all of a sudden at another rendezvous point that one ship could have apparently appeared there yet they didn't make any big deal out of it seems like it that was above uh Fravor's pay grade we would say that the government's mm-hmm. controlling so I believe like a hundred percent I believe that the government found technology that probably belongs to like an alien ancient civilization they're making the stuff, using it, and they're just not telling nobody. Like I, I can see that. I can see that. Because mm-hmm. you know, even though as much desensitizing as it is, like you know, you still we still got people that are you know still like, hey, there's a UFO. Where's it from? And all that. They're not just like, oh, whatever it is. You know, like us. We're more intrigued by it. We're not totally numb to the whole. Yeah, you know what? Just something else in the air. Whatever. We want to know. I think the desensitizing goes more towards desensitizing from fear of it. So you could, t- you could have like three groups of people. You're going to have people who absolutely are terrified seeing a UFO and run and hide. You got people who are curious and want to see. And then others that are just like, oh, I've seen that a thousand times. So 
there's this ground that they're trying to get to between person two and three. And they don't want you to run in fear if they're trying to desensitize you to it. They want it to be, okay, I see this, I acknowledge it. What else is it? And be more curious than fearful. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, I could see that too, especially because it could make sense. Say, like, you know, they all the military people that have seen it and all that. And they're the ones that make these, like, like Fravor, his, ex, you know, extensive report on it and everything. And then the footage they had, you know, if they are desensitizing them of fear, does that mean, like, they did find, like, ancient technology and that they're training the government personnel to not fear that in case there is, like, some alien army that's going to invade us? This is like a training session to prepare them, be like, like Independence Day you know, train them to be able to fight them off and not to fear what you don't know kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Damn. We came with some good theories today. Mm-hmm. Worked very well. To That's think. a good episode. Yeah. Um, well, do you have anything else you want to add before we roll on to Hans is on the scene? Uh, no. I can't think of anything. Yeah, if if you enjoyed today's episode and you want to hear more, go check out our Patreon. We released a episode over the Aerial School UFO encounter, which is an encounter where a lot of school children in Rwanda, Africa, see a giant UFO and encounter encounter Rwanda. 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 From uh, Wakanda. a lot of school children in Africa see a UFO and alien and it's a very interesting story so go check that out i guess that wraps up today's episode uh we're gonna move on to this week's on the scene if you're not familiar with on the scene it is where our on the field reporter hans goes into the field and gets people's opinions and or it's and gets individuals out in the public uh, their opinions on the current conspiracy and conspiracies and happenings around the world and gets some interviews. So we'll take a listen to this week's On the Scene right now. What's good? It's your boy Hans on the motherfucking scene, back from the break. <sighs> Let's find somebody. So tell me some more theories that you believe in, Ethan. About what? Well, do you believe that we live in an alternate universe? I believe there's more dimensions than it uh, set out to be. I believe that everything has an alternate, because here's the deal. You can't look at them stars and tell me that all them little stars that they're in another planet that is able and capable of holding a life form. But I, I don't know. You don't know? I, I don't. That's what I'm saying. The only thing that I know for certain is, mm-hmm. is that we don't know. Period. No matter how much you want to think that we know, even about modern science, mm-hmm. even about medicines, we don't know. That's the only thing that we do know, is we don't. What do you think about the Nashville bombing? What Nashville bombing? I hadn't read on the Nashville. Yeah. I, don't, I don't listen to the news. Yeah, there's an RV that blew up, for sure, in the at t data center. Here's you one. You know, during the wildfires, yeah. that the U.S. deployed snipers to take out the, some of the major power grids down mm-hmm. in California for a reason? To create chaos. Yep. Here's you another one. Do you know who Eric Price is? Sounds familiar. Eric Price is a, the sole owner 
of the world's largest privately owned government or uh, world's privately owned military in Afghanistan, in the height of Afghanistan, yeah. for every one uh, one enlisted person, we had one hired, con- uh, sub- like, he's a subcontractor. Ah. Blackwater. Oh, Blackwater, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there is something way bigger than what they're letting on to. And my thought is, is that as long as they leave me the fuck alone, I don't give a shit what they do. Good concept. <laughs> Dude. Man. I love what Ethan. A gr- yeah, what a great interview this week. That was week. really good. Oh, I loved Man, it. So much to unpack from that interview. What we do know is that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, I like that phrase. Yeah. That was really good. That's weird. Hans just messaged me just now. <laughs> it's like you he text knew. Him. We knew, but we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was actually really good. And yet, yeah, dude, it was. Blackwater, man, I've always found that shit to be sketchy. I don't know yeah, anything I don't, about I don't really it. Know much, yeah, I don't know much about it either. All I know is that there was some corruption, but I haven't really dug into it. So he was saying how distract, distractions were being done with the snipers in California. And it made me think of this video I just saw. And it was saying how... Okay, now that we're, we're having a lot more spiritual people in the world, we're learning that we can manifest any, anything. And some of science is being challenged now because of us being able to have these abilities. And so some people are starting to think, like, what if science is a method of controlling the masses? Because it's trying to say that scientifically this is true, which puts it in a box, which automatically says that you cannot do anything you cannot physically do A, B, or C, but really you can, but we've just never trained ourselves to do it. S- science is a limiting belief system that stops us from truly opening our minds. And Science is, is pretty much a religion. Yeah. Until you can actually take some of those thoughts or some of those experiments and actually do them yourself, it's pretty much a religion because you have to believe in them, mm-hmm. right? So... Because, like, there's people that will say you can't, as a human, physically bend a spoon with your mind. But yet, there are humans on this earth who can heat up the molecules or the particles in a spoon through their fingers or through their, uh, their third eye and bend the spoon. So how can science say it's impossible, but physically in front of you, somebody's doing it with their, you're, seeing, you're watching with your own eyes? And there's more than just that, but we're always finding and breaking scientific achievements, I see. Like, now that you would never think somebody could move a stone with their hand, or move a feather, or move a foil around a toothpick. Until you watch people do it, they're manipulating energy with their own energy. And that's becoming huge now with people becoming more aware of what they're capable of. So I feel like on some level, science is going to falter because it's going to continue to be disproven by the masses as time goes on. There's some things, of course, that are fundamental and true, but I think a lot of it is not as real as it's made to be. Well, from just my personal view, I I really wouldn't say 
disproven. I would say challenged. Yeah. A, a lot of it would be challenged until it eventually cuz you can't really a lot of the science is theories, right? A lot of it's theories. Mm-hmm. So it's not really rock solid, so you can't really disprove it. It would just be, you know, their theory against your proven whatever it is. So Yeah. I like the challenge I, better than disproven. Good good I see I see science and spirituality as yin and yang. I feel like they're gonna they're, no matter what, they're both gonna coincide. It's just them being able to balance each other out. Because, you know, science is good in some ways, spirituality is good in some ways. I mean it's like it's to me it looks like a yin and yang thing. One should not be taken more over than the other. Right. Yep. Like if they work together, they could probably figure out how to open portals and stuff like that because they would be working as a team. Because hypothetically, spiritual people are going through portals on some level when they're astral projecting or they're traveling through dimensions through meditation. There's probably something that could be figured out with that scientifically in that way, I suppose, if they haven't already. Like with the remote viewing, with the hemi-sync stuff. And I think our government's kind of trying to do that, right? You look at the recently declassified CIA papers on remote viewing, which we're doing an episode over here pretty soon. You'll see that the government's trying to find how are these people doing this. So, yeah. Anyways, um, I, I just gonna I just want to say great on the scene interview this week, Hans. Glad that you're back. We're all glad to be back on uh season three you know ready to take this season and put it to it yeah you set the bar for the on the scene ethan i don't know i think he sounded familiar like you might have had him on before which if he did keep keep finding him because he is a good source i like him a lot i like the way his mind thinks he seems like a cool cat cool cat Nice. All right, so now we're going to move on to shout-outs. All right, you guys got any shout-outs this week for Twitter or Facebook? I know we've been gone for a little while, so I got a, got a couple on Instagram. Let me pull those up. But if y'all have y'alls up, you can go ahead and go first. Um. Well, I know that I have Jay Buck. I am... Oh, let's see what he say. So Jay Buck messaged us uh, a couple weeks ago on Twitter saying that he was going to call and leave us a voicemail with some verbal love and just asked if we can give him a shout out sometime. So here's your shout out, Jay Buck. Um, Mike with two E's. I know you just joined Patreon. Welcome to the family, dude. John T. I hope you've been enjoying the binging sessions. Uh, Scott said, hey, guys, love the podcast and your ideas, theories and research. Everything that I have listened to is so interesting and eye opening. Would like to hear a bit about the Philadelphia experiment or maybe any other kinds of World War One or World War Two conspiracies. Uh, Sal Weezy got our theories of the third kind hoodie in in green. 
The cover art looks amazing. I, I do really like that one. And then... You know, I just want to say thank you guys all on Twitter for reaching out. I hope you had an amazing holiday. Uh, and, gosh, we're almost to New Year's already. Hope you guys are all safe for New Year's. That's all I got this week. Nice. Uh, on Instagram, <clears throat> I wanted to shout out Moon Ray Cakes. She got a uh, Christmas shirt of Theories of the Third Kind. And was like, cool, I got one. And I'm like, dude, it looks awesome on you. Congratulations. And then they commented on one of our uh, pictures, one of our graphics that we posted and said, uh, you guys want cookies? Send me your addresses. I'll get you a box. I was a Girl Scout for 12 years. I know how to bake. And uh, nice. looks like she owns a organic baking, wedding cakes, mini desserts, delicious food. So, I mean, everything she posts Ooh. that she's making looks delicious. So we'll uh, definitely shoot you over to that and see if we can get Did some you guys want some cookies? <laughs> some goodies. But we had a lot of people reach out to us on Instagram. A lot. Um, a lot of love shown there. Uh, Casey Lee 420. You know, lots of love from that person. Real iRuben. Uh, Roberto Blinko, Enlightenment, uh, Enlight of Being was also saying, hey, awesome episode. Just lots of love on there. I want to shout out everybody on there. Getting brains. Definitely showing the love. So I just want to shout everybody out on that. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the support. And we'll keep sending it right back. So I had a lot of, a decent amount of people, I'd say, message me on uh, Facebook during our regular episode break and honestly i'm just gonna go through and read the names give y'all a shout out because they sent a lot of cool stuff a lot of videos to watch of interesting uh conspiracies Let's see we start off with let's see i'd say right about here yeah so spencer Autumn, Timothy, Andrew, Scott, Lindsay, Stephen, and Myra, Teddy, Mikey, Robert, Jeremy, and Valerie, Kaiser Soze. He bought one of our hoodies, green, uh, there's a third kind hoodie, the logo. Uh, Kyle and Matt, they've all sent pretty much a bunch of stuff for us to pretty much look at gander at some of it's mind-blowing so definitely worth taking a peek at nice some, some of them did have some problems trying to find some episodes on season two hmm all of our season two is there i've checked all the the directories so not sure if it something on their end or what but i don't know yeah. i can look back into it though yeah, I think it's uh, one person said something about Spotify, like what happened to our episodes on Spotify. Then one person's like, I'm missing a ton of episodes 54 through 71 on Apple's podcast machine. It's the first time I've heard of it. I mean, I've, I go and check our episodes daily and make sure we haven't been yanked as, 
as of yet, we have not. So yeah, the one person saying like, "What happened to Spotify?" The other person was just like, "Well, that's because Joe Rogan owns Spotify." I'm like, hmm. I mean, I can see that kind of you know he's he's paid with Spotify, but that's all right. Yeah. Anyways, um, I guess that's it for the end of this. Sh- I guess that's it for the episode today. Any of y'all have anything else you want to say before we roll out? No, just like I said earlier, I hope everyone enjoyed their holidays and everyone's living on that higher vibration, enjoying life and just taking time to take care of yourselves. I missed you guys. I'm glad that we're back. And uh, this season's going to be pretty freaking amazing. Yes, yes it is. We have such a great lineup. For you guys. Also, just one last thing. If you go and decide to sign up for Patreon, please do it on the first. We we cannot change the day that it charges you. Patreon, no matter what day you sign up, it charges everybody on the first. So if you sign up on the 31st, it will charge you the 31st and it will charge you the following day on the first for the entire following month. Mm -hmm. So just to let you know, if you're thinking about signing up and it's already halfway through the month. Just go ahead and wait. If you can't, then you can't, you know. But just to give you a heads up, we can't yeah. change that. That's all through Patreon. So. Yep, that's a hey. Patreon thing. Yep. Anyways, all right. Well, I wanted to thank everyone. I wanted to thank everyone for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Anna, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone. We're back.